We are back in space. First splashdown in 45. Skies are the limit. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Well, welcome to Monday. Happy Monday, and what a great day on Sunday. Um, SpaceX had helped us with the first splashdown in 45 years in this country. Uh, This splashdown was the first time in 45 years. We went through 20 years of space shuttle missions, and it just was, uh, the whole process was beautiful. The whole process took about 45 minutes. So let's talk about it. First, the process, very simple. They started the spaceship, uh, left the um, ISS, the International Space Station, at about 1045, 10:30. Uh, the two astronauts who were on the ISS for about two months, Bob Bengen and Doug Hurley, were in the ship. Also, this was a space capsule from uh, SpaceX, so that was really exciting. And then um, that space capsule actually got to space with those two people two months ago, beautiful takeoff. They started, they left the space station about 1045 and started a burn to push through the atmosphere. Then they went through about 1136 to 1142. They went through a six minute communication blackout as they were pushing through the uh, atmosphere. Um, that six-minute blackout's been the same six-minute blackout that's been around since um, the Apollo days. Um, at about 11.43, they're traveling through. They break through the atmosphere, of course, at 17,000 miles an hour, reaching temperatures of 3,500 degrees on the outside. Of course, the ship took it like a, took it like a man. It just went right through there. At about 11... Uh, about 11.43, two parachutes popped out and their main purpose were to actually just slow the ship down to about 400 miles per hour. Once those parachute, once that ship slowed down to between 350 and 400 miles an hour, those parachutes released and then um, four main parachutes opened up. And those main parachutes were what's going to cause the splashdown. The four parachutes, the two parachutes slipped out. About a minute later, the four parachutes came up about 11.44 and splashed down. The ship slowed down to 16 miles per hour. That's amazing. From 3,500 miles per hour to 16 miles per hour. And they even know 16 miles per hour. And right at 11.48, right when NASA called it, right when SpaceX called it, the ship hit the water. Splashtown, 11.48. It was, well, that wasn't the most amazing part. What was amazing is then those astronauts, about two hours later, um, got out of their spaceship. Now, they were taken out of their spaceship uh, on on, um, gurneys, and they were taken out on gurneys because apparently being in space for that long, and you can imagine, in far less microgravity is what they were calling it. And then being on Earth in macrogravity, they were going to be feeling very sick. They're going to be feeling very wobbly. So what they did is they just took them out of the capsule one at a time, put them on a gurney. 
and took him into the uh, medic bay of the ship. Um, <clears throat> once they were taken out of the ship, they were taken into an initial health check, heart rate, blood pressure, and stuff like that, the typical stuff, just to make sure they're okay. Then the astronauts went had a bite to eat. Whatever that uh, Navy ship, that Navy recovery ship had, they, they gave it to them. Hamburgers, chicken, whatever they happened to have. The astronauts then boarded an airplane, were taken to a, the airport and boarded a private NASA airplane back to Houston where they both lived. And the two will spend Sunday night at home, sleeping in their own beds. And then, you know, today, Monday, they actually will go back to NASA and they'll be debriefed and things like that. It was a beautiful event and it really, I, you know, I'm older now. I don't remember seeing any splashdowns when I was young because I was too young. Um, basically, the first actual ship launch I saw was um, the first space shuttle, the Columbia launch. I never really saw anything outside of that. Never saw a splash. I mean, I was alive during the Apollo mission uh, that went to the moon, Apollo 11. But I wasn't really, I wasn't really cognitive or con conscious. So, you know, I was just way too young. But I can tell you what, I've read a lot of things about the uh, shuttle missions. And it's really impressive what they did this time versus what used to happen you know I, I honestly i find it amazing that i sit back and all day today i didn't do this podcast i was just doing other things and the second i do something they need to start construction outside it's been absolutely quiet for the entire day and then suddenly they come out there so i had to step back a little bit and and uh <laughs> had to step back a little bit and shut the door but anyway you can tell though I remember the Columbia, the space shuttle missions. I was very interested in the space shuttle missions. And you could see a real difference from the past. Um, it, in the past, the astronauts were hidden away before the launch. Uh, and the reason was they were, they were afraid to... Uh, they were afraid the astronauts would get a cold or get the flu or whatever. That doesn't actually happen anymore. And that's because we're so advanced in our medicine, we don't worry about the astronauts catching anything. We don't worry about the astronauts catching the chicken pox or the flu or... I mean, now granted, this was two months ago. This was before COVID was all over the place. But we don't worry about them getting the measles or anything like that. So that isn't an issue. Now, granted, they're not, you know, in the public anyway a couple of days before the mission... But they're not being hidden away. Uh, in the past, some of the sh ships, some of the parts of the ships were no thicker than a piece of tinfoil. And they were ma materials that were very inflexible, that didn't really move or wouldn't adjust. So if something went wrong, that ship could easily fall apart. And this was something a lot of people said. Um, even the space shuttle, the space shuttle during takeoffs and landings, there were parts that was expected to actually fall off the space shuttle as it, 
and re-entered orbit at that 3,500 degrees and had to be burnt and was burning off or taking off. You would actually see parts panels from the space shuttle fall off. As a matter of fact, the um, uh, I believe it was the Columbia disaster. It was believed that a piece of the um, panels fell, fell off before it actually got in the space. And there was absolutely nothing you, they could do about it. But the spaceships are built so much better. This spaceship was really, its capsule was built really well. They now have a polymer by SpaceX, Elon Musk's company, that actually would deflect the 3,500 degrees in the fire around the ship and it would actually expand. And so the ship never got the full brunt of the 3,500 degrees. That's amazing. Nothing fell off of the ship. And Elon Musk had even said he was kind of disappointed with one thing that he said. He guaranteed that eventually he was going to make a polymer that could for, for the re-entry plan that could actually just be reused. In other words, it wouldn't need to be replaced. And that's amazing. Now, if we look at, if we look at, like, well, we'll get to that in a second. So, let, let's get to the next part. More technology. Control panels on the older spacecraft were a bunch of switches and analog displays. The computers were simplistic and susceptible to crashing. Now, the beauty of the computers back then is that a computer could reboot in seconds. For example, in the Apollo 11 mission... When they were actually landing on the moon, the computer crashed. It did crash, and it took a grand total of three seconds to come back up. And then they were able to work it. Now, if that computer never came up, they would be in serious trouble. Today, the displays and the controls look like an iPhone. It, there are no switches. Well, I'm sure there are, but there are no real switches. Everything is a touchscreen display. Not to mention... Everything is completely automated and completely redundant. So there's always another way to do something, which is something you would expect from NASA. On the old missions, including the space shuttle, climate control was secondary in all the missions. It didn't matter. Yes, you came in at 3,500 degrees. Guess what? It got freaking hot. When you took off, it got hot. When you were in space, it was cold. And that's just something the astronauts could deal with. Now, I mean, that's great. The ship could handle it. You did have some environmental controls inside of the ship. For example, if the ship's going down at 3,500 degrees, it's going to get hot in there. They did have some, but not enough that it didn't make it very, very, very hot in these ships to the point they were just sweating like pigs. Now, not only do they have environmental controls in the capsules, the re-entry and the takeoff capsules, they have it in their suits. So their suits are not only pumping oxygen or air that they need to breathe, but those suits are actually trying to keep them comfortable. That's amazing. And this is something that, you know, a lot of people don't understand, including myself, is that, yeah, you know, it gets cold up there. It gets hot up there. It gets hot coming back. It gets hot going up. 
And we just take it for granted. Okay, it's going to be hot coming out. Deal with it. And they're kept at a very comfortable 75 degrees or whatever it is. Uh, in the past, everything was a waste. So you had, when you look at a rocket, and there's actually a great podcast. I'll find this podcast for you, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Um, okay, you know what? I'm going to tell you now. Give me just a It was called Apollo 11, What We Saw, and it was a very good it was a very good podcast. Uh, it basically described everything that the uh, folks from NASA went through to get that ship landing on the moon. And what's beautiful about the podcast, it actually references video that they took of them on the moon and in the space capsule and everything. Um, and it's all viewable. So he'll tell you something about what happened on the moon and you'll go back and say oh look it up and say oh my god i see what he's saying how did i not see that it's an excellent podcast but the the thing is you had a rocket when you look at the old rockets and it works the same thing with the space shuttles rockets come in stages and you've heard that stage one stage two stage three well the reason you have stages is because you as the ship goes higher, the fuel begins to compress. It gets thinner. And the ship gets heavier. And the idea is burn, get rid of a part to make the ship lighter, and you have fuel in the second stage. And as the fuel runs out in the second stage, the second stage drops and the third stage starts, making the ship lighter, and yet there's more fuel. So that's the idea with three stages. There, he explains a lot better than I do. But as the ship goes up, um, fuel compresses, and as it compresses, it burns faster. And so you need to make a staged aircraft to get into space to be able to have enough fuel. Again, it's, it's wonderfully, wonderfully explained in this, in this podcast. But here's the thing. That first stage falls off, falls in the ocean, gone forever. Second stage falls off, falls in the ocean, gone forever. Um, when we landed on the moon, that the lem that landed on the moon, st basically most of it stayed on the moon and came back up. When we got back to, we had the capsule and the lem connected together, right? So that the astronauts from the lem that were on the moon could get back into the capsule. The lem was was disconnected gone forever the capsule went down burned the garbage out of the capsule landed in the freaking ocean capsule is gone forever it's worthless can't use it again then the 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 crew was taken back then um the space shuttle same thing when you look at a space shuttle that space shuttle is not the same space shuttle. For example, Columbia, when it took off the first time, was not the same Columbia that took off the third time. Everything in the Columbia was replaced. The panels, the wings, the, the um, landing gear, everything was actually replaced. And they even commented when the Columbia crashed, uh, whenever it crashed a few years ago, when the Columbia crashed, they said, that's not the same Columbia. So there's just nothing on these ships that's reusable. Today, 
you have your you still have your staged rockets. But what's happening with the staged rockets? They SpaceX made it so those those things come back and land beautifully on platforms. So everything that goes up into space comes back down. They made it that the capsule can come back and actually be used again. One of the things that Musk is doing, don't do it. My girlfriend just walked in, so I want to make sure she doesn't scare the crap out of me. Um, what Elon Musk is trying to do right now is make it that the space capsule itself, upon re-entry, the only thing he can't figure out is how to create a polymer, a polymer on the, on the re-entry that won't burn completely off, and he thinks he's almost doing that. They're going to make it that nothing needs to be replaced on anything on these spacecraft. That's going to be really, really important in the future when we decide to make it so that we can all travel in space. And this is awesome. It also makes it cheaper. You can actually relaunch people and send them into space, send them back whenever they want. And and um, it won't cost any more money. We just have to re just, you know, kind of touch up the ship and then send it back up. This stuff is absolutely awesome. This is how the space race will win. This is how we're going to actually move forward. This is how Mars is going to happen. This is how, once we figure out fuel that's going to be able to recreate itself, like plasma or something of that nature, that's how we're going to get to not just Mars, but then Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus. Uranus is not the name of the planet. Um, Neptune. This is how people are going to go further out. And this is how people are actually going to um, make this into a commercial aspect. And this is a great, this is what I was most excited for. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of seconds. But we're not going to talk about that quite yet. Another thing that's really awesome as far as technology goes is the actual capturing of video. We can actually see everything as it's launched all the way into space and being captured to the ISS or wherever it's going. Um, there is the, when it comes back to Earth, we can actually watch it as it cruises back. They had a, a, they had a, a plane that was actually monitoring the, the capsule coming out of the orbit and into the atmosphere they the it actually caught the capsule before that they had communications this is technology we've never had before I, I remember watching the films of the apollo 11 and apollo 13 landings and all you saw was suddenly the camera saw something coming down with the parachutes opened you don't have that anymore. Now we can see absolutely everything. And what's beautiful is our technology is getting so good that monitoring this stuff, that seeing things is going to be done by the civilian. It You don't need to be an MIT graduate to actually do some of this stuff. You're going to be able to do it from your home with the advanced telescopes and things like that. 
I'm doing that now with binoculars. It's pretty awesome. Now, even though we've done quite a bit that really is fantastic, there are some things we haven't quite mastered and we need to work on. For example, one of the big technological flaws, and by the way, here, here's something really bizarre. I do not even realize these are technical flaws. It's the engineers, the people that are watching this that are saying that, okay, we've got a technical flaw here. It's Elon Musk saying, this is a technical flaw. We need to fix this. I did not even see, I am so short-sighted. I did not even see these as technical flaws. But better people than I, they find them. One of the things is the communication breakdown from liftoff and re-entry. Uh, there are six minutes that the breaking through the atmosphere is so turbulent that there are about six minutes that communications is just stopped. Everyone has basically said that needs to go away. We need to figure out a way to make sure that we never lose communication with the astronauts. Six minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're in re-entry and you're in the hottest portion, the, the 3,500 degrees, it's a big deal and you want to talk to them. Yet we're monitoring the ship. And this is where I'm short. I knew we were monitoring the ship and we know if the ship had a problem, we would see the ship had a problem but they want to continually be in contact. And that's something that um, Elon Musk said we need to fix. And a bunch of other astronauts said that someday we're going to fix that. And by the way, our communications are really good now compared to what they were. I mean, we have a communication with a with a rover in mars and it's sending us data so the communication we can fix now granted even that they see a problem with the communication because it takes three or four minutes there's a delay and they want to fix that this is how good these guys are they're always thinking they're always looking Elon Musk, another problem, Elon Musk said that the polymers that they're using for the re-entry module, the polymers are not reusable. <laughs> they're very good. They're very, they're very easy to put on, but that's not relevant. They're not reusable. He wants to fix that. Now, those polymers are something that I, I'm not exactly sure, huh? Used to rebuild ships. The Columbia, the Challenger, the Discovery, all those ships have, went on multiple missions. They were actually rebuilt for those missions, which is really weird. I didn't even think about it. Okay, rebuild the ship, send it back up, send it back down, then put more polymer on there. No, that's not what Elon Musk wants to do. Because You know why? Because Elon Musk is an innovator. He's an innovator. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. He wants to make it that a ship does not have to be put together to be relaunched. That's his ultimate goal, which I think is an awesome goal. Because his goal, let's call it, he's a capitalist. His goal is to do this and have pay, people pay him to do this. Nothing wrong with that. Good for him. And he's going to do it cheaper faster 
and more safely than the U.S. government, NASA, could have ever done it. The other thing is we need to, and, and uh, people said this, and they, they went a step further, a, way, a step that I've thought of but never really thought is going to be in my lifetime. We need to go to the moon. We need to go to the moon more often. We need to go to the moon safely. And then we need to create an outpost, either in the orbital moon or on the moon so that we can fuel and we can prepare crews for distances further than the moon. And this was something I heard. I was just like, oh, my God, these guys are like Star Wars people. I know I, I shouldn't say like because that's an AOC thing. But it's amazing. People are thinking like this. The moon as an outpost, not necessarily a colony. We don't necessarily need to colonize the moon, but it should be something that, okay, if we want to go into the uh, the belt, I, don't, I can't remember the belt name, the asteroid belt, we want to look, we want to go to Mars. The moon is a good place to start. And not to mention, once that we get that technology to be able to outpost the moon, we'll have that same technology to outpost Mars, to outpost moons like Mars has two moons we can outpost on those two moons and then maybe go further it's amazing so finally one of the big things is commercial flight now we they Fox News was interviewing somebody and I listened to Daily Wire because they had a live broadcast of this and one of the things they had said was that commercial flight is going to be a thing. Right now, commercial flight is horribly expensive. you got to be really rich to do it. Okay, that makes sense. It is horribly expensive. But eventually, and they said within 20 years, which is my lifetime, probably your lifetime, eventually this is going to be made so cheap that commercial flight is going to be something available for all of us within 20 years. That's in my lifetime. I'm pretty happy about that. So, you know, I've spent almost an entire podcast. It, well, I'm going to spend an entire podcast. Why is this so exciting? This is exciting because the United States is finally looking forward. We have spent the last 20 years always bickering and whining and fighting and, and just, ugh. and we're finally looking and saying, okay, we can do this. You know, there was a, there was talk. I've got a friend who I shall remain nameless. Dave knows who he is that said that the space race was crap. It never happened. We never went to the moon. And I I listened to that podcast I talked about earlier. And one of the reasons uh, that guy said that people today don't believe we went to the moon is because they've accomplished absolutely nothing. That this generation, Gen Y, Gen Z, they've, they've really not accomplished anything. So they don't understand the major accomplishment of the moon mission in 1969, which was a baby boomer um, Gen X group that would have understood that. I have no doubt. I'm Gen Xer. I have no doubt we landed on the moon. And there was even expectation we were going to land on the moon. 
There was expectation we were going to land on Mars before 1980. The space shuttle, there was expectation we would actually create runways on the moon at the time. There was, and the movies showed that. Um, uh, Space Odyssey, 2001, A Space Odyssey, was a movie about that. There, we just knew we were going to be there. TV shows like Star Trek and Star Wars were all based on that stuff. And I know you think I'm exaggerating, and I'm not even making this up. This is something someone else came up with that I've read, and that is a thing. So we as the United States, are finally taking control of space. This is why I'm so scared if Donald Trump loses or a Republican a Democrat takes over. I fear that the Democrats will say this is a waste of time. And it really is not a waste of time. This is a part of national pride. And here's the thing. The moon and beyond is not out of limits. We need to look at the moon and beyond as something that can happen. And it's just Mars. Everyone keeps saying, oh, yeah, no, Mars won't be in our lifetime, won't be in our lifetime. I never believe that. I think Mars is in our lifetime. I think Mars is in our lifetime, and I think we'll be landing, uh, well, depending on the physics, I think we'll be landing on moons for Jupiter and Saturn. And I think this is fantastic. I think the moon is going to be an outpost. Might even be a colony. And I definitely think Mars is going to be an outpost. Possibly a colony. There's the technology. They're already... Elon Musk and SpaceX are already talking about the technology of having a colony on Mars. Now, those people are never going to come back. They will die on Mars. It's a very dangerous place. But it's a possibility. Commercial space flight. This is exciting. Will be in my lifetime. I will be able to fly to space. Where? I don't know. Maybe it's just high enough to circle the Earth, orbit the Earth once. Maybe. Who knows? But space flight will be in my lifetime. That has got to be exciting, especially for anyone under 40. Because now... If you think about it, oh, this is exciting stuff. You can be in space. And you can be in space safely. And there's a possibility you can take a vacation in space. And you'll land back on Earth. You'll be safe. Everything will be good to go. Finally, the last thing that this shows is the power of capitalism. I was listening to Jeremy Boring's show because he had this live... Uh, he was from. He's the... Uh, CEO, I believe the CEO of the Daily Wire, and he had said that, is this too expensive? Is this worth it? And Jeremy Boring, it was a rhetorical question, because Jer Jeremy Boring is a huge space guy. Daily Wire, subscribe. Anyway, this shows my answer was simple. If capitalism if private companies do this, it will be affordable. If the government does this, if NASA does this, and they are dependent on that, this will not be affordable and it will not be a 50% as successful. NASA is a great organization, don't get me wrong. 
but NASA is not, they're worried about the bottom line. They're worried about money. Whereas SpaceX, Elon Musk, he's not worried about the bottom line. He's worried about making it work. And he has proven that. Look at his spaceship compared to the other spaceships. Look at his spaceship compared to 10 years ago, the space shuttle. It was way beyond anything because it's a private company and he pays those people. Those people make money. SpaceX is making money. They're making money not just from their Teslas or anything like that. They're making money. They're getting paid and they're succeeding. And it's going to be small companies that do it. Boeing is actually creating engines. Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is creating engines and rockets for NASA. You've got the greatest minds for private firms that are trying to take us into the next, into this millennia, take us into unfathomable places in the universe. And I know even, we can't even conceive of what these guys are trying to do. It's amazing. And it's, Little companies, I mean, I, I told you, Amazon, Boeing, SpaceX, there's a smaller company that's working on rings and things like this, and they're working with SpaceX. They're not even working directly with NASA. NASA knows what's going on, but the reality is NASA has said, okay, do that. If NASA decides, if the U.S. government decides to say, you know what, let's let capitalism put us in space, we will be put in space we will be a thousand times safer and it will be commercialized within 20 years. I guarantee it. Okay, so I'm done. I was going to say something else, but I, I, I think I'll wait till tomorrow. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and YouTube. Uh, I just found a way to upload this to Twitch and a bunch of other places. I'm going to figure that out. Uh, you can listen or uh, you can actually look at any links, graphics, or any past podcasts at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Mm -hmm.